You are listening to us, Unscripted Stories, brought to you by Northwestern University's Multicultural Student Affairs. We are recording at the traditional homelands of the people of the Council of Three Fires, the Ojibwe, Potawatomi, and Adawa, as well as the Menominee, Miami, and Ho-Chunk Nations. Welcome, my name is Austin Gardner. I am a fourth year student and my pronouns are he, him, his. Today we're joined by Alex Mana and Saeed Sanchez. Alex? Uh, yeah, I'm Alex. Um, I'm a second year and I'm in the School of Communication studying theater and global history. Um, I use they, them, or she, her. Hi, y'all. I'm Saeed Sanchez. I'm a fourth year studying English and African American studies and I use he, him. In, it is the month of June, and in June, the world celebrates LGBTQA Pride Month. During Pride Month, we honor the 1969 Stonewall rights and the fight for equal justice and equal opportunity for the LGBTQIA community. Today, we will share a story about how we celebrate and show our pride. So Saeed, you were going to start us off with your story. Yeah, sure. Um, first, uh, thanks for inviting me and having me here today. I'm uh, excited to be in community and miss you guys. And it's always cool to get to talk in about queer liberation. And so when I think of celebrating and showing pride, the first thing that comes to my mind for the story is uh, solidarity uh, and black and brown solidarity and actually being on the front lines uh, and showing up for one another uh, and connecting kind of like, you know, these histories of violences. Because for me, queer liberation is also black liberation um, and they can't really be separated from one another. Um, and thinking about like how, uh, yeah, uh, showing up for uh, one another is, is integral. And so I guess the story I want to show um, and in that showing my pride, right, is in the weekend, uh, showing up with other friends, um, going, uh, being downtown in Saturday uh, and, and that kind of being a very intense, uh, yeah, an intense showing of solidarity um, and presence against anti-Black state-sanctioned violence um, and thinking about what it means to put yourself on the line for other people and what it also means to be with other people who are putting their lives on the line for you. And so I think for me, how that, in, uh, again, is pride is because it's also, it's, it's thinking about how police violence is also queer antagonist violence and thinking about how like uh, the connections with, uh, right, one thing I want to contextualize is like a lot of it and rightfully so is, is uh, the protests are outright against the cries uh, towards George um, and Brianna, but I also want to think about uh, uh, Tony as well, a, a black trans man uh, who, was, who was murdered through state-sanctioned violence. So I'm thinking about, again, like those intersections between queer liberation and black liberation and how they're always together with one another and how we always have to be thinking about, um, in the black community, black intercommunal violence. Um, and so putting, yeah, again, showing up there for me, as the queer black man means I'm showing the queer community and the black community are there for one another. Um, and if I'm doing liberation work for black folks, I'm therefore doing it for queer folks and vice versa. Also the thing that to me that was actually like pride and, and celebratory is the moment of being able to distribute food and water and supply relief supplies to other people. And also seeing those critical moments of solidarity where other people are actually like joining in and being like, hey, let me get you some water. Let um, here's some funds so you guys can get some more stuff, right? And thinking about how like 
Um, in many ways, right, like the police are kind of more scared of that, of us taking care of one another than they are, they will, they're scared of, of that and they're also scared of us protesting directly with violence because they see, um, they're able to see, right, that like a world without police is possible, right, in a world where queer liberation exists is possible. And so I feel like these moments of being on the front line give us like a taste of that or give us an insight into that. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really intense, no doubt, but it also shows me like, hey, what does it mean that like uh, Lori Lightfoot can cut us the CP or the CPS after school food programs um, and then immediately a ton of people are organizing food relief efforts um, and they're doing that specifically for South side and West side, right? Um, those are which are black and brown communities and those in which are already uh, suffer from food deserts. And so going out for me, the celebration and, and, and the pride is going out there and countering that is showing, uh, is saying that despite all of that, we're gonna like work together um, and work together for like, a better world we're going to work together in spite of the violence we're going to work together to show you that uh police are not necessary right um and that abolitionist work right the um is a lot more feasible uh than media and government would want us to believe um and i'm just like i get really proud and, and get super excited to think this like bothers like a lot of other folks at times this is actually possible or this is closer we just i just have to keep fighting for it and fighting with others is like is really crucial yeah, for sure. So um, you have spoken about how, you know, making resources accessible to everyone, things like healthcare and stuff like that, um, uh, making it like a universal right and not a privilege, how these things are actually possible, how there's like research backing up the fact and academia backing up the fact that there are resources available um, to everyone and that it's like a possibility, like it's not a pipe dream. Um, so do you have, and there's a lot of grass work, grassroots work going on right now like you mentioned you and your friends doing work towards this um and obviously like a lot of like information is being spread around right now um do you have any like advice recommendations as to how people can like help with the grassroots grassroots movement besides spreading awareness at this point like what are tangible things that people could be doing like you or me yeah but um so yeah a good thing i want to contextualize too is i'm like anyone else right like i uh don't I don't even, I don't claim to know a ton of things or everything. And I also uh, think it's important to defer to organizers who've been doing this for decades and who like really have the facts. And like, so uh, what I and other friends, right? Like what we have been doing is kind of building off of the models of like of other, a lot of uh, wonderful workers. So I'm thinking of course, like Mariam Kaba, who's a well-known um, abolitionist, anti-carceral uh, worker, um, but also like uh, BYP, um, and, and Black Lives Matter Chicago, um, social media has been helpful um, with kind of figuring out strategies. Um, and so I would say to people who are like, what can I do, right? Like fighting, the first, the first thing, right, is against the cynicism that like, uh, we can't do anything, right? Like, it's, it's difficult. I always like tell friends and I have to remind myself too, when you're like combating the superstructure of racial capitalism, at times it can feel hopeless or can feel like what can something as small as me do to combat it? But I have to remind myself that like that type of thinking um, precisely is what capitalism wants to reproduce and it wants to make you think that you have to just keep working or you just have to like suck it up and all those, um, you know, kind of harmful logics. And so I have to remind myself that uh, not to 
fall into that and and when I do you know give myself space to reflect on it and also like communicate these anxieties and fears with other one with friends because oftentimes other people are feel, um, feeling that and we can like communicate and share to work against it but looping back to your specific question on what are material uh resources and things people can do the first thing is of course like donate uh especially if you have class privilege uh the biggest thing you can do is really show up because as we know um people are being arrested and the judicial system is used to punish black and brown people and the bail is an extremely classist way to keep people arrested without their due rights just um and the whole idea is if you can pay you can you you're afforded a certain amount of freedom or i'm doing air quotes to suggest you know freedom but uh while you await, await uh, a trial or whatnot or charges um, but obviously that is uh, very arbitrary because the state can choose to set it really high and they use that to target and establish political prisoners, right? Um, so bail, um, donating the bail funds is really, really important. And it's great to see a, a ton have jumped up, like, of course, like the Minneapolis bail fund, Chicago bail fund, but also beyond that too, there's a lot of other different ways in terms of, um, for, uh, for example, uh, donating to food relief, right? So like, um, there's so many ways different. I want to, what I want to emphasize, there's just so many different ways to mobilize. Right. And I think the front line is one that obviously receives a lot of media attention for a number of reasons. Um, and while it's very crucial, there's like so much other, uh, ways you can also get involved if frontline, um, might not be the one for you. Right. Because we also want to think about this through a lens of disability justice. We also want to think about this lens of accessibility, um, for both mental and physical health, a frontline is not necessarily a viable option for everybody. So we want to think about other ways to do that. So for me, how that's a material way that is, is like, okay, so I'm I'm collecting whatever little coin I got and I'm donating that to other folks. When I'm not on the front line, donate it to other folks. I'm also trying to make life easier for other folks who are uh, doing abolitionist work. So that can look like in the terms of buying them food. That also looks in the terms of uh, donating food supplies to relief programs. That looks in the terms of um, also, um, one thing I've been talking about with my friends um, and family is that like this whole we, you know, we see, we here in academia and we as students have the privilege to study. That's like our kind of job, right? And we think about practice and we think about theory and the kind of tension that has. Um, and so, you know, the whole thing with uh, theory being is, is seen as the kind of like intellectual endeavors and what you do to theorize uh to describe phenomenon that's happening in our world and then practice is the application of it right in material um ways and, and through action and so uh it's great to see organizers who put uh who kind of marry theory and praxis and put uh what they've learned through readings and through kind of other um uh yeah other organizers um into action and so i i what i've been doing is trying to have conversations with family and show them that uh, the idea of abolition, right, um, anti-prison work um, and anti-policing, anti-surveillance work is actually a lot more feasible than we might think. We just have like really, really powerful media um, and government interests that have conditioned us from our, you know, since we were born to believe in these, um, to believe in these institutions, right? So what you can do if you're feeling sometimes like, what do I do or what's the way I can get involved? It's like, um, is have those conversations with your family, right? Um, but do it in a way that's critical and, inter and interrogative and pushes them through their comfort zone and do it in a way that's accessible. Meet them at the way, at the level they're at. So what I'm doing, I'm not gonna throw them like Fanon and be like, here, read it. Cause I don't even know what he's saying sometimes. I'm be real with you. Like some of my studies and some, 
sometimes I'm still like, oh, I'm working on this. Um, but what I will do, and you know, as well, is like, look, what are some some writers I really look up to um, who are very clear and direct, um, and like the things that come to my mind immediately, Angela Davis, who's really well known, right? Um, but also, and is a scholar and activist, um, and is fantastic. And I just think like her art. Our Prisons Obsolete is a really fantastic entryway into abolitionist work. It's only 50 to 60 pages. Her writing is very clear and direct. And she dispels a lot of the myths that we, as an American society, have bought into policing, right? Um, and so if we can just have those conversations. I was telling a friend, if you can just even do a thing where you, if you can convince your family members that police, as an extension of the state, are set up to protect property over life, like that's actually really, really critical because that shifts a lot of the framework and a lot of the conditioning we have. If we can get them to start thinking about that, that um, uh, is really crucial. At the same time we're doing that, also make sure, you know, they open their purse. Like, okay, where are the coins going to also, you know, the queer um, and trans of color folks who have been organizing on the front lines for decades on these things, right? Like donate to them, donate to the Bell Funds, donate to uh, put food in their bellies, like show up for them because they've been on the front lines and have been, in many cases, the people who have been um, uh, the most susceptible to anti-Black uh, violence. Thank you for that response, Said. Hopefully that wasn't too long, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, thank you for sharing this knowledge. Don't apologize. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, I'm, I don't know, just like the, you know, importance of centering like abolition work and anti-police work and all that conversation into understanding pride is so important yes. to me especially this month i just like i don't i see the thing is always funny to me when folks are like oh like how are you I was, like you know pride work it's all it's funny when people suggest that pride work is separate from anti-policing work um and you know and that to me when i see when you're talking about queer liberation you're talking about black mm -hmm. liberation um, when you're talking to me, when you're talking about disability justice, you're talking about black justice, like these conversations are in um, together, right? Because we're also thinking about, it's so critical to be having an intersectional lens and look at the ways in which folks are in, within the matrices of oppression and are being targeted by the state in so many different valences, right? So I always, you know, find it funny and I'm like, I don't get it. I mean, and y'all can edit this out, but I just really don't get it when white gays are like, oh, let's do this pride and all this. And they like want to hug up on cops. And I'm oh like, my Bro, God. the cops are not there to protect you. Like, can we, or Target will come out with some damn, will come out with some rainbow colored socks and underwear and they will eat that up. And then I'm like, okay, but where are you showing up for the girls? Like, where yeah. is the Literally. Like, I'm so, these corporations do not care about you. They're trying to make a dollar, like, they are not invested. They're trying to capitalize off of what is the next trend, right? And to me, uh, queer liberation is not an aesthetic. It's not shit, that's shit, right? It's not gonna be televised. Like, if you, you gotta do more than go to Instagram for your social justice mm -hmm. info. Like, it's not gonna mm -hmm. cut it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like they're content, you know, they have everything they, well, they don't have everything they need, but they have most of like everything they need the white queer yeah folks it's i like, mean it's homonormativity like academics think about it you know like particularly white queers with class privilege like the whole mm -hmm. thing they want to join the military they want gay marriage all their things is about getting access to white supremacy in its full flavors mm -hmm. they want all the benefits of it but it's still it, it's at the expense of black and brown folks you know mm -hmm. having the police march with them in the pride parade which i never want to see 
No, I've never liked seeing it. I never want to see it ever again after this. Like I'm like, do, do y'all get y'all it? Know. I hope you learned your like, lesson. Do you get it? Like, like I hope they, I hope they understand now. Where it's like, do y'all like if you didn't get it before and you don't get it after this, then you're just lost. The lost like, are just know. intentionally, you know, um, supremacists. Points. Like points. You make points. Thank you. That's ooh. People can see me pointing, but I'm. No, I yeah, Alex, would you like to share your yes, story with us? I can try to follow that. Uh, I've mentioned previously in like the community dialogues that we've had, um, the the disconnect I've been feeling a little bit of, from Pride recently, just because they're, with quarantine and the pandemic going on, it's not as like, it's not visible in the ways it normally is. Um, but it's so like, it's so ingrained in us and like visible like through other ways and through other forms of activism um and I've done a lot of like a lot of trying to like reckon my privilege with like the oppression that like my people are facing and have faced historically and the oppression of like my peers and like neighboring communities especially and how like all of these intersections like are working together like especially like recently so like I come from like a Middle Eastern Arab background, um, like first generation American, um, but I was born abroad. Um, uh, and in the Middle East, like in 10 out of the 18 countries in the Middle East, uh, homosexuality is still criminalized. And in six of those countries, it's punishable by um, death still. So obviously like being in the US and growing up in the US, I have like an immense amount of privilege because you know I can face a lot of oppression um, from a lot of communities for being queer. But I, unless it's like a, some vigilante justice, it's unlikely I will be punished by the state for being queer. Um, um, but the reason like I have any privilege at all in the US is obviously because of the work that uh, black and brown like trans women did, especially like black trans women in the Stonewall riots um, and the queer liberation movement that happened because of that. Um, and in the context of the black liberation movement and how it's like so like tied to so many other like struggles of, op of oppression um, and how especially queer black people are pushed to the side or like marginalized even further in this conversation. Um, I can't remember the names of them, but like there were two um, black trans people who were murdered very recently and their names have not really come up in the news. Um, I wish I could remember who they are, but it's been a lot of like putting all of these things in conversation. The way I've tried to find community myself is like obviously like seeking out other queer people and Northwestern queer people of color. Like I didn't, I had never met another queer Muslim person before coming to Northwestern's campus. Um, and I'm like privileged to like have this community now, but it's because like we all have this like relative safety net at Northwestern's campus to be able to like come together yeah so we have the privilege to yeah. come together when like you step off like campus you go into or like even to like the rainbow alliance and how it's like so you know white and kind of like othering of like other identities um yeah like my story is just like realizing that like there's so much like work to do and trying to like contribute to like the grassroots movement in a way that like um doesn't take up space um that like i don't need you know i'm following you i'm feeling what you're saying yeah 
Um, and obviously, like, coming from, like, uh, a background in, like, a region of the world where, like, homosexuality still and, like, transgenderism is so, like, misunderstood and there's, like, certain spaces for it, but there's still so much, like, misguided, like, vigilante justice um, and, like, lynching of queer people that happens and state-sanctioned state violence. Um, like, I still have, carry a lot of trauma, carry a lot of trauma from, like, my own like you know upbringing um and all the homophobia and anti-blackness that uh, like comes from my own like culture and community um and trying to reckon that and like do the work i need to do to like combat all of it um and make space for my own healing but also the healing of others and like recognizing the issues and um oppression that like are at the forefront right now and what work i can do for it right now no, that was so good. I was going to say I resonated or I was thinking about what you said with the comment of I think it's it's sometimes difficult to locate. I'll speak, I'll use I statements, you know, finding myself in a movement that has such a rich and varied history, right? Um, but I still think it's important, like us as queer people of color, um, thinking about, again, what solidarity looks like and what, what might it mean to show solidarity for um, communities um, affected by, again, state sanctions, um, violence towards queer folks, towards Black folks. And we want to think about, again, like giving platforms to the most marginalized um, and, and showing up for them materially uh, with money, with whatever they might need in the moment, right? Um, and so for me, it's, it's like a, it's a chance to constantly to reflect and to listen um, and to be reading. Um, and just also just being like admit like I don't always I don't have all the answers but I'm like make a commitment to do the best I can but like I, I feel you on that like I ask myself a lot and I think it's good that we do ask these questions for awareness and, and making sure we're not um, unintentionally like doing harm to others or silencing others. And what you said about like like when you're sitting when you know when you're saying like I wish I remember their names but like their names haven't been circulated very much it's like very that you know what I mean the fact that we have to be a lot more intentional about remembering their names than others because people aren't centering their murders the same way they're centering like cis black men first and then cis black women second and then like everyone else like after you know what I mean um like that resonated with me too just because it like it's just crazy to me that you like amidst like everything that's going on it's like I keep trying to you know what I mean? every time I'm talking to people I'm like can we please like even if we have our differences like we need to be like you know trying to be restorative with each other and like building community and space like community with each, like Saeed was saying earlier you know community and is like the key and just seeing like a black trans woman a video of a black trans woman getting like beat by cis black men admits everything when I'm like literally black queer people and black trans people are fighting for you right now and you have the audacity to one be transphobic and homophobic and two like act on that violently right now like it's like it makes it hard to to like i don't know it's just like because i saw like hope giselle's uh person i follow on instagram she always finds a really beautiful way to 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 i feel like express things and i just really appreciate her insight and she had a um she, she's a black trans activist and she she like she went off after that and i was like this this is like people need to hear because it, it was just crazy. She was, you know, basically saying she was like, I'm going to fight for black people because I am black and I, I want like us as a community to be better. But don't you think, don't you, I'm not going to forget this. And the second that we have like our liberation, I'm coming for you. 
I will come for you and you will rue the day. Like, you know what I mean? And I was like, this, I was like, this is the energy. That's the pride energy I want to have. <laughs> like, I was like, this is, or you know what I mean? Where it's like, I'm gonna fight for black liberation because that's what needs to happen. But like, don't, like, don't think for a second you're gonna get away from being transphobic and homophobic. On Pride Month, amidst all of this liberation, move, like all the liber like liberation, like abolishment movements that are going on. It's like, really y'all? Like really? Really? Yeah, it's amazing the like irony that thrives amidst all of this and the like hatred like within like these communities like in every community like homophobia and like anti-trans sentiments like thrives but like like violence against violence against marginalized people being like the center of conversations right now like across the u.s like with protests happening in like every state and people still having the energy to like commit like intentional violence against like gay and trans and queer people especially queer and trans and queer people of color is mind-boggling it's horrific especially these people who are like activists who have like done the activism for decades like being the, the the target of so much violence like every day it's like impossible to keep up with the number of people who are being murdered unjustly is astounding and it's like just with like all everything that's happening like one thing after another it's like hard to find the space sometimes to it's like we are being like silenced continually because like you know we're trying to have pride but then like we're being murdered every day um and i just wanted to note too for so for the the trans folks that we were talking about the black trans folks was uh tony mcdade who was uh shot and murdered by police in tallahassee and then we also have um the violence, this is a different context, but still violence nonetheless, towards Ayana Dior uh, by a group of cis black men in Minneapolis, right? So she um, she is a black trans woman protesting alongside um, with other folks. And this is an example of uh, black intercommunal violence or black cis men uh, were beating her. And so uh, that news around that was circulating this morning, today. Um, and there's been some uh, organizing and mobilizing relief efforts and donations for her. But yeah, just uh, thinking about how Black trans folks are, are invisibilized in this, uh, doubly invisibilized in this conversation. Especially because of what you were saying earlier, like, it, like, you know, Black trans women, Black queer folk are usually the ones who are both leading, like, the queer liberation movement and the Black liberation movement. But then everyone else in those communities tends to leave them behind. Um, and it's just like they're doing double duty all the time. And they're also fighting so much. Um, it's like to have the audacity to, to like leave someone behind that's been fighting for you like that. Um, but I'm just thinking back to what you were saying, Said, about like, you know, feeding people, caring for people, um, making sure that those who are fighting are like getting what they need to sustain themselves, to, to be well, healthy while they're fighting, especially it's like, um, yeah, I don't know, there was an extra thought to that, I don't know why I said more, but yes, just ending it with that. Like, I just think that's so important right now. Um, Cause it's, it's also the complete opposite of, like it's like violence, the violence seems to end and we do the complete opposite and show care and love and sustain one another. Oh, I keep nodding my head because I'm trying to affirm you, but then I realize it was the podcast. So, it's, but yes, all to that. Yes, no, it's so real, right? I mean, it's just real that like we 
folks put their lives on the line and they're on the front line, but we also have to remember, like, sometimes, in, especially in crises, right, we got to remember that we also have to, like, nourish our bodies. So we have to sleep and we have to eat. Um, and we can share that, that responsibility can become one for the community, right? So check, checking out one or other, um, which is, you know, of course, how are you, how are things going, but also like, let me bring you buy some groceries or like, um, let me order you in something or like, you know, what, what, or just like, what would make your life easier, right? Like, um, and being in tune to that too, um, noticing that and taking initiative to the, to do that. Cause sometimes it's difficult to ask for help in the moment. That's something I'm reflecting on really working hard on like how can I take initiative and notice um, when other people are in need and go ahead and take the action to do that without necessarily having to be signaled every time. Especially amidst the pandemic because I feel like community, well not feel like, community is just so different now that we are worrying about this virus at the same time. Um, So I feel like we had to do a lot of work in this month which is only like two days. Well, I won't say this month. It's just, it's just overlapping with the month of pride, which is our conversation. But just like in this time, it's like, how can you care for people, support people, be in community with people, fight for liberation, also stay safe and healthy amidst these times of pandemic and virus and isolation and distancing and all that craziness. listening to us on Scripted Stories. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Support for this podcast is provided by Joe Scaletti, Emma Salen, Sydney Hastings-Smith, Saeed Resco, Alex Mana, Austin Gardner, Rafael Contreras, Juliet Esparza, with support from Vishnu Venagopal, Linda Luck, and Aaron Golding. Subscribe to hear more from us.